it's awesome being part of a church that has a lot going on. Amen? Amen. Except when you got to be up here making the announcements. Amen. It's killing my message time. I'm telling you. Here we go. We're going to jump into Zechariah 4, verse number 6. As you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Say, I'm ready. ready. Say, let's do this. Yes. It says in verse 6, Then the Lord said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of host not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts and I want that to be a principle in your life if anything you're doing in your own strength and in your own might it's going to end up failing and falling short but it must be done by the spirit of the Lord make that the driving power source in your life and we're going to talk about Zachariah for a little bit tonight and I got you a chart in here again like we did uh, a couple weeks ago when I preached the last message on the prophet that I was able to preach on I want to draw a couple things to your attention go down to where it says the theme the theme build the temple and you'll build your future Amen. build the temple and you'll build your future what is the temple in the New Testament the Bible says this you are the temple of the Holy Spirit build your temple and you'll build your future you're wondering what the call of God is on your life you're wondering what your destiny is you're wondering why you've been created you're wondering what you're here for you wonder how two ladies can get a call from God and go around the world you wonder how Jeff and, and, and Amy can move down from Tulsa Oklahoma to Texas to fulfill their destiny you wonder how Pastor Derek moves from Chicago to all the way come down here and okay he'll say it's the bass fishing but I'm telling you he was called to TWBC and the fishing is just a benefit amen Sometimes God's got to tell them, I'll give you the fish if you come to the church. Amen. <laughs> come on now. You wonder how people step into their destiny, step into their calling, step into all that God's called them to do while others sit around and wonder what their calling is. It's because if you'll build the temple, you'll build your future. If you'll build the temple of God on your life, in your life, become who he's calling you to be in your study and in your prayer and you're seeking him. If you build the temple, you'll build your future. The Bible says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know what the will of God is, the good and perfect and pleasing will of God for your life. So the, the, so, so the, 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 uh, the pathway to becoming, all that you're called to become is right here. Build the temple. You'll build your future. You build the temple by transforming your mind. You begin to transform the way you think. When you transform the way you think, you'll transform the way you do. When you transform what you do, you'll transform every aspect of your life. But it can't be by willpower. It can't be by your own might. It must be by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And so many Christians come in and they come into church and they try to do it by willpower. You can have willpower for just a certain amount of time. Anybody can have willpower for three days, but after three days, you wonder why God didn't come through. That's how you know, are you standing in your power or willpower? Not by power, it says, nor by might. Your own might, your own strength. You're not going to accomplish all that God's called you to accomplish. It must be by the Spirit of the Lord. And I want you to remember this. It's not field of dreams. Build it and they will come. But if you build the temple of God in your life, your future will be put right in front of you. And you will step into your destiny and all that you're called to be as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so passionate about that in my life because there is nothing I love to see more than people stepping into their destiny. Stepping into the fullness of God on their life. Stepping into all that God's called them to be and what he's called them to do. Zachariah was a major 
major part of the kingdom of God becoming all that it was called to become um, in, in his lifetime. And so as you jump down to the background, I wanted to give you that, that outline right there so you can go home and study, dive into the word of God on your own. It's a great devotional as you study that out over the next five to seven days. You can find out more than you've ever known about one of these minor prophets uh, of Zechariah. And the background of his life is this. His prophetical career began in the second year of Darius, king of Persia about 16 years after the return of the first company of their Babylonian exile. According to the book of Ezra, he was a contemporary of Haggai, who Hunter did an amazing job last week preaching on the prophet Haggai. After the deaths of Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, the beginning of the 400 years of silence was ushered in. The voice of God was silent until the birth of Christ. So these were the last of the prophets that heard the voice of God. And if you were in my message Sunday and you heard it, I said that just because God is silent doesn't mean God isn't working. And that, as the minor prophets were ending, they're ushered in a 400-year time of silence. That is so key to the latter part of my message tonight. So I need you to remember that. Just because he's silent does not mean that he is not working. In that 400 years of silence, the Greek nation rose to power. And Alexander the Great dominated the world. He brought in culture and language and arts. And the whole world began to speak, the whole known world at that time began to speak Greek. And it was a common language. Then the Romans came up and rose to power 150 years before Christ was born. And they ushered in the power of the Roman military and they built, they built roads and infrastructure and united the whole world. So now it had one language and a common unification. And God says, see, I've laid in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone called Jesus Christ. And in the Romans 5, 6, it says at just the right time, we're in the Kairos moment. God sent Jesus Christ, his son to the earth and the word made flesh. In that time, after one common language, and the infrastructure that united the world, his word came in to spread the gospel all around the world. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not working on your behalf. And so on that, Zechariah, the, the key verse is there, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you. Hey, why does God tell you he's with you? Because you're about to go into a time when it doesn't seem like he's with you. Right? He told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Why? Because he was about to encounter something that he needed to be strong and courageous. When God comes to Jeff and says, Pastor Jeff, mighty warrior, what do you think he's about to get to go do? <laughs> Woo, he's about to go fight. Go into battle. I'm telling you, when God gives you a word, you can stand up and down and celebrate, but get ready for what that word's bringing you into. And, and, and how you receive that word before the conflict or before the, 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 the overcoming of what you're about to overcome will dictate how you get to celebrate on the other side of it. Come on, everybody likes the celebration. See, here's the problem. Everybody loves to get the word. Everybody collapses in the midst of the battle. But everybody wants to celebrate on the other side. How you receive the word has everything to do with how you'll celebrate on the other side of it. When God calls you mighty warrior, good, stand up, do like he told Job, brace yourself like a man, get ready. You're about to walk through something, but on the other side, remember, I'm with you all the way through. <laughs> David said it best, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't camp out there. Some of y'all got too many camping tents out there. Camping in the valley of depression, camping in the valley of financial break, uh, breakdowns, camping in the valley of marriage issues, camping in the valley of kid issues. And you just decide to camp out there when instead of going on through. Press on through to the other side. He said, I am with you, says the Lord. 
Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now that name's important because that means sown in Babylon. And he just told Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So he sent two prophets, same time frame, to one man. I'm telling you, this man must have been somebody important. We'll get into some of those things here in just a little bit. And in that, he says, he was the high priest in the spirit of the Lord and the remnant of all the people that came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What did they do? They worked on the house of the Lord. What did I say at the very beginning? Build the temple and you'll build your future. The word of God is coming to you tonight saying the exact same thing Haggai and Zechariah did to Zerubbabel. Build the house of the Lord, build the temple and you'll build your future. See, God's message is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Build the temple and you'll build your future. Now, the name given to Zechariah is derived from the Hebrew word that's right there that I can't pronounce because I don't speak Hebrew. And it means this, the Lord has remembered. So he told Haggai, I'm going to be with you. Now, Haggai and Zechariah, at the same time, they're prophets living in the same area. He told one of them, I will be with you. He told the other one, I'm remembering you. <laughs> Come on, do, do you understand what they're going into? We've got to begin to get what the word of the Lord is saying. And so the timeline is this. The dates mentioned in the book confirm that, that he was a contemporary of Haggai. Haggai has been preaching for two months, and the construction on the temple had already started when Zechariah began his work. Haggai's recorded ministry lasted about four months. God created a man, put him in the midst of something, gave him words for four months. What if the only thing you were supposed to do your whole life was predicated on four months of your life? But if you don't build the temple, you'll never hit the market in four months. Everything God created him was for four months of ministry. He was in Isaiah where he had this 50, 60 year thing going on in all the chapters. Four months. I'm telling you, we are living in a time and a day that you cannot afford to miss your Kairos moment where you're at because God is moving that quickly in our day. You cannot afford to miss it. So build the temple, build your future. So his ministry lasted Four months. Dated, um, dated prophecies in Zechariah covered about two years. So Zechariah's whole ministry was two years. And these men got books in the Bible for four months and two years of ministry. Right? That's pretty impressive to me. I mean, I don't know about you. I've been doing ministry for 18 years, and I don't got my own book yet. I mean, really? I'm just kidding. Take and so his lasted um, uh, two years through the prophecies of chapters 9 through 14 of Ezra. Um, while much of Haggai's writings address the former temple and the current rebuilding of the temple, Zechariah's uh, writings uh, address the coming of Christ and the consummation of the end of the age. So they may have existed at the same time, but their directives were two completely different things. While Haggai, as Hunter preached last week so well, was teaching about the current temple that they were building and addressing the people who were living in the past, putting tents up and camping out on wishing it would have been like what it used to be like rather than moving into what God's calling it to be. Uh, Zechariah comes in and builds on that and says, but listen, what you've called it to be and what I'm seeing God's going to do with Christ coming here are two completely different things. So he sent two prophets the same time frame. One was trying to, to correct the past and bring them into the present. Some of us need to quit living in our past and get in the present. Come on now. If you're still upset about something that happened to you in high school, you need to get out of it. I mean, Lord, some of y'all, that's only a couple years ago. For me, that was quite a bit of time ago. Shocking moment this year when I found out that Hunter was born the year I graduated high school. I'm just telling you. Y'all, that hurt. 
I mean, that hurt. I got staff members that were born when I graduated high school. I'm like, oh, it's like I still feel it in my chest. Can somebody come pray for it? I'm just playing. And so on that, if you're still living in the past, it's time to get out of the past and present. Look at the temple of God in your life. And, and what Haggai said, is it time for you to live in nice paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains in ruin? Is it time for you to have such this great physical feature and everything in your life great financially while your own spiritual temple is dead and dying and stuck in the past? But then Zechariah comes in and says, but I got even something better than what you're building presently. There's a future glory coming that you know nothing about. And I'm fixing to talk to you about the coming of Christ, he says. And he begins to reference it. And this isn't going to happen for 400 years. Now, come on. He's stepping out there. But God's creating something. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not working on anything. Listen, they were motivators of their day. Both Haggai and Zechariah were called and sent by God to motivate the inhabitants of Jerusalem, complete the construction of the temple. They played a key role in rousing the elders and the people under Zerubbabel, the governor, uh, and Joshua, the high priest, to complete the building program that's mentioned in the book of Ezra, chapters 5, um, verses 1 and 2, and 6, verse number 14. And so you've got to go back, and the, the graph at the bottom, I, I want to get to that quickly because I want to share some things with you about it. And so there, these were difficult times in the small Jewish community. They faced continual opposition from the Samaritans. The construction of the temple that began in 520 B.C. and the building was completed about four years later. With God's encouragement and help, their determination and hard work finally paid off. So it took them four, over four years to just build the temple. But God wasn't finished with this whole time frame, this whole era. And so the uniqueness of Zechariah is second only to Isaiah in the number of times messianic references are referred to or messianic prophecies. And you read Isaiah and there's tons of chapters in the book of Isaiah. Zechariah is not that long of a book. And it's got the second most prophecies or references to Jesus Christ coming in the whole Bible. There's something important about that. Some of the references of, the, of Jesus are this, the angel of the Lord, the righteous branch, the king and priest, the cornerstone, the tent peg, the, the bow in the midst of the battle, the good shepherd, the shepherd who was sold for 30 prices of silver. Come on now, that's getting pretty specific. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah prophesied about that 400 years before. Man, if that doesn't get exciting. Okay, I'll be a geek and say, that's awesome. Y'all may not like that. That makes me go excited about the word of God. He is the pierced one, Zechariah 12.10. Come on now. The coming judge and the righteous king in Zechariah 14. Come on. I'm telling you, he put it out there, and he put it out there in a big way. And I wanted to show you this picture. The picture below shows a 100-year time period where God used men and women to rebuild the temple and the walls in spite of great opposition. And I wanted to show you this picture because I wanted to show you how much of the Bible in this time period and how important this time period was right before the 400 years of silence, how much emphasis God put right here in this time frame. You got Haggai and Zechariah right there in that 100-year time period. Then you have Ezra who wrote the book of Ezra. Then you have Nehemiah all in this 100-year time period. Plus the book of Esther takes place in this 100-year time period. This is a packed out part of history in our biblical culture that we miss a lot of times. And so Cyrus was king as they started rebuilding and Zerubbabel came in in Ezra 1 through 6. And then Haggai and Zechariah both lived with Ezra in the first six chapters of Ezra to rebuild the temple. Now that's pretty remarkable. That's something you're not going to learn just by reading the scripture the way it's written out the way we have it. But if you get a chronological Bible, it starts putting all this together. 
And it's written in chronological order, so God starts compiling all this stuff in place. Then you had Darius the king, but then you have this time period where all of it gets interrupted. And it's this major um, emperor of the world called Xerxes. Some of you have heard of him from history. Some of you have seen crazy movies with him in. He was known as the God King. Actually, they gave him titles that, when it's translated to English, resemble this, King of Kings. He was the emperor of the whole known world. So people under him were kings. He ruled the world. People under him were kings over nations in different places. And Esther is the one who came up under Xerxes. And the famous line of Esther is, and who knows that you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. See, everybody's sitting here wondering in America today, what's going on with America today? Who knows that you've been called into America for such a time as this. Build the temple, you'll build your future. And God's waiting for some believers to rise up and build their temple so we can build the future of the Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God in the area that we live. See, that's why I'm never worried about who's in authority or who's in power or who the president is. Because I know if I focus on building what God's called me to build, build my temple, and I'll build the future, future, he can even bring me up into a place just like he did Esther. And who knows that, Joel, you've been called and born into the United States of America in the year 2017 for such a time as this to give counsel to even the president of the United States. And I'm saying, why not? If you're going to do it with anybody, God, here I am, send me. I mean, let's get it out there. Let's not have this cheap faith. Oh, God, send me. But then when he says you to go somewhere, you're like, I just can't do it. Right? No, if you, if you want him to send you, he's going to send you. You got to be serious about getting sent. And that's why I'm saying build the temple. You'll build your future. Build who you are. Get ah, Come on. You got to start dealing with the issues of your life. If you're bound with depression, start dealing with it. Quit coping with it and medicating it. And I'm not saying, and I'm not dogging medicine here. I'm not. I'm not. Sometimes uh, you're so weak and so broke. And I remember in sixth grade when I broke my leg, I needed a cast to help it heal. But I wasn't going to tolerate staying in a cast forever. There may be some things you need in your life to, to get you to a place where you can just recover. But once you start getting recovered... You need to start making sure it's not by my power, nor by my might, nor by the, the, the power or might of any other thing, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Yeah. And if you're dealing with, 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 with insecurity issues, start dealing with it. We're living in a day that you got to start working on the temple. Build the temple, you'll build your future. And some of us can't get past the first layer of the temple because you've built the foundation layer on insecurities. And you've built them on things that are not the rock of Jesus Christ. I need us to start dealing with who we really are and what our shortcomings really are. And so the Father can come in and change your life. And he wants to do some awesome stuff. So then you got Esther rising up. And Xerxes was the God king. After the fall of Xerxes, Ezra comes back in. <laughs> now you got the second half of Ezra. Ezra chapter number 7 through 10. And then with Ezra, Nehemiah is also right there. And that's the rebuilding of all the walls and all the gates. Can I tell you, God was doing something amazing in this 100-year time period. And, and he, as he's doing something amazing in that 100-year year time period, I want to ask you this about the timeline. What is God doing in your lifetime? Now, this part is not on your notes, but this is where I'm actually going to begin to preach. And I didn't put it in your notes specifically because I want everybody in the chair in front of you to grab the note sheet out. 
Because I want you to write down tonight what the Spirit of God is saying to you. There's no sheets in front of every one of you. If you don't have one, say, in the front row, reach behind you and grab one. Because here, why did I put the timeline in place? Because sometimes you're so close to your problem, you can't see the promise. Why did I put this timeline in place? Because sometimes you're so close to your problem. You're so in the midst of the battle. You're so in the midst of the, 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 the whole forest, but the trees right here in front of you, you can't even see what the forest looks like. And I put that timeline in place because I'm sure Haggai's sitting here and saying, God, I live my whole life for you, and you give me four months of, mis- uh, of ministry or misery, whatever you want to call it. Um, some of y'all will get that if you're in ministry. Zachariah was in place and he said God I've lived my whole life for you in captivity and all for two years of ministry And then you got Ezra who says God I'm living through this era and then I'm living through the Xerxes era And then I'm living through the other era and then you got Nehemiah coming in What am I actually here for and you can't see the promise of God because you're too close to your problem But if at the end of time and all of eternity if you can look back to your 100 year time span Will you be able to see what God was actually doing in you and through you to change the course of nations? See, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Psalms says, Ask of me and I'll give the nations unto you for your inheritance. Come on. You wonder why we're going around the world. Because I'm asking for nations. See, mm. I'm just going to. I'm glad y'all are going to the Philippines because I've been asking for nations. Will you begin to see past your 100-year lifespan to the God's ultimate plan? You know, I'm sure if I was Haggai or Zechariah in that time frame, I would have had some questions for God. God, your promises to Abraham, your promises to Moses, your promises to Joshua, and I'm here in Babylonian captivity, and you're about to go into 400 years of silence that he didn't know about. Uh, Zechariah may have knew about it. He knew about a lot of stuff. But can you see past your 100-year plan to see God's ultimate plan? Build your temple, you'll build your future. Write that down. Start building your temple, you'll build your future. And the problems that you're facing, are you so close to your problems that you can't get to a 10,000-foot level and see what God's really beginning to do? If you can't, you need to ask God to take you there. Ask him to take you there. God, I'm so in the midst of my problem or my battle or my issue or my death valley, the valley of the shadow of death, that I even feel like I'm camping out here. Can you take me to a 10,000-foot perspective and show me what you're actually doing? And his answer to you is going to be yes. You just got to believe that he'll do it. And then when he begins to show you, you can't freak out and run. So you got a fear issue you got to deal with. You gotta, I'm telling you, you got to build the temple. And so are you so close to your problem that you can't see the promise? Will you begin to see your 100 years life, uh, past your 100 year lifespan and begin to see God's ultimate plan? Or will you see past your season of silence? Remember the 400 years of silence? The prophet Zechariah had to see past a season of silence. And y'all, we ain't ever experienced a 400 year season. You've only been here some, not nobody's been here 100 years, so... Can you see past your season of silence to see what God's bringing you into? Here's another one. Can you move past your current era of emptiness? And I said at the beginning of this, God specializes in a couple amazing things, bringing dead things to life and making empty things full. Can you see past your era of emptiness to see what God's really doing eternally? 
in your life. Because some of you are so stuck in your place of emptiness, you're not seeing eternally, you're seeing empty. And you've got to get past your era of emptiness to see eternally. And if you can begin to see eternally, then you'll begin to see what God is doing even in your moment of emptiness. Some of y'all are saying, well, what about my moment of emptiness? Good, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of, of Luke, chapter number 5. Peter had the same question. If you are ever at a weirded out place in life, just read about Peter. I mean, you can relate to anything in Peter's life. Because it's like a lot of us. Man, a lot of people can relate to who Peter is and why he did what he did. Peter went through an era of emptiness. Now, an era of emptiness in Peter's time frame that we're about to read about was just one night. But some of your one nights have lasted a decade. Because you let the night drag on and drag on and you let your yesterday affect your today and you've let your today ruin your tomorrow. Did, did some of y'all catch that? Yeah. You let your yesterday ruin today and you've let your today already ruin your tomorrow because you're thinking, I got to deal with all the stuff tomorrow that I didn't get done today. Really? You don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Right. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Who by worrying can make one hair on your head turn white or black? Do you not see the birds of the air, how the Father feeds them? Are you not more valuable and precious than they? And that's Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. That's basic 101 Christianity. So in that, don't let your past ruin your today, and don't let your today influence your tomorrow. This is why I love the mercies of God. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. Amen. I love it what my mother-in-law and, and, and Cecil do. Cecil, he's working with A2J. He's the guy who's awesome, got the electronic wheelchair, takes up the offering on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what time of day they walk in and they say good morning to each other. Why? Because they know the mercies of God are new every morning, so it's morning to them all the time. Why not? I think it's a great thing. At least they're walking in the mercies of God at 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> Come on now. That's good stuff if you'll grab a hold of it. And so you've got to begin to step into all that God is calling you into. So here we are in Luke chapter number 5, verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he's talking about Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's that he's about to change his name to, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when, he had let, and when he had done this, they in, enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to the other partners on the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when, and if y'all don't know what these boats look like, these weren't little canoe boats. These weren't little kayaks. I mean, these were professional fishermen. Yeah. And to fill them with fish so much that they begin to sink. Can I tell you, he specializes in making empty things full. 
So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now here's where I want us to get to today. Here's the problem with, with your emptiness or your current problem that's so big you can't see the promise or your era of emptiness that you can't see eternally. Here's what was going on. Jesus is fishing for men and he caught too many men. He ran out of land. The crowds were pressing in. Jesus was fishing for men and he caught too many. Peter was fishing for fish and he hadn't caught any. Do you want me to repeat that? Jesus was fishing for men and he caught too many. Peter was fishing for fish and hadn't caught any. So herein lies the problem. What was going on? Jesus had no more space. Peter had too much space. In the boat, Peter's boat was empty. That's bad if you're a fisherman. I've got too much space in this boat if it's empty. And my livelihood depends on fishing. Jesus' livelihood depends on catching men. And he had no more space because he had too many men. So Peter's emptiness was the answer to Jesus's no space issue. See, the answer to your emptiness may be closer than you think. The answer to your emptiness may be God opening your eyes because somebody's trying to step into your boat. The answer to your emptiness may be right in front of you because listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And you can replace that term weakness with emptiness. My strength, God says, is made perfect in your emptiness. Peter, your boat is made full when I step on it. Now listen, Jesus was fishing for men and had too many. Peter was fishing for fish and didn't catch any. Peter had a space issue and so did Jesus. They both had an issue. Some of y'all say, well, Jesus never had an issue. Yes, he did. He had 12 of them that followed him for three years. Yeah, right. right? He had plenty of issues. So Jesus had issues to deal with. One of the issues he was coming up with right here was the issue of space. Jesus did lack for something. It was space in the moment. But in the moment that he lacked for space, Peter thought his miserable night of emptiness was a bad thing when it was exactly what Jesus needed for Jesus' answer to his problem. Are you getting that? Some of you got to let that sink in for a little bit. I don't think God gave Peter a bad night fishing. But I think God knew Jesus was going to need a boat. I know God didn't give you your depression because it doesn't exist in heaven. But in the midst of your emptiness, if we'll invite Jesus into your lack or into your emptiness, he'll change your emptiness. Peter had to let Jesus in to his boat and it began to change what, he ever, what, what his problem was. Listen, has God ever asked you to pray for somebody when you needed prayer yourself? Come on. Have you ever been in such a place, oh God, I'm dying, don't you even know that I'm here? And he tells you to go pray for somebody. Don't you know I need prayer myself? Number one, stop because he just spoke to you. And you didn't even look. You mad that he spoke to you now. You've been asking for an answer. He tells you to go pray. Now you mad that he gave you an answer. Right? Can't win for losing. I'm glad you are such a loving and merciful father. Have you ever asked, has God ever asked you to give somebody something when you needed something yourself? 
Hey, I need, God says, hey, Joel, I need you to go so $50 into redeeming Zoe today. But God, I need $50 myself. Has God ever asked you to give something financially when you are the one in need of financial provision? Listen, has God ever asked you to do something for someone else when you didn't have the energy to do what you needed to get done? <laughs> Come on, now, every parent in the room, raise your hand. <laughs> just, just say amen. I, I can relate, Pastor. Everybody can relate to one of those three scenarios. Here's the deal. On this, has God ever asked you to do something for someone when you needed him yourself? Has God ever required your boat at the emptiest moment? Is what he's asking. He required Peter's boat at his emptiest moment. They both had space problems. Peter had too much. Jesus didn't have enough. So God required Peter's emptiness at his most vulnerable moment. And here's the key to the whole thing. That's why God, that, that is God's way of stepping into Peter's lack. Yeah. Amen. Do, do you catch that? See, God says, when you're sitting here saying, I need prayer. And God says, go pray for somebody. When you respond to him, that's his way of stepping into your lack. Do you get that? When financially you need something from God and you're struggling in the moment and you're saying, God, financially we need help. And he says, go give. That's God's way of stepping into your emptiness. Right. I'm telling you, you got to be obedient even when you don't understand your emptiness. Have you ever been so depleted of energy? I've been here on mission trips. I've been here uh, working at TWBC, just so depleted of energy. And God says, but you got to preach again tonight. And, but it, it, by obedience, you step out and do it. And God steps into the midst of my emptiness. Because in the midst of your emptiness, he becomes strong. And he doesn't, just, he doesn't just use you, he fills your emptiness through your obedience. Follow this. God wants to know that he'll get a yes even at your emptiest moment. Now that, talking about the boat, now that he's in it, notice Jesus never got out of it, but told Peter to push out in the midst of it and to drop down his nets back into it. See, when Jesus comes into you in your emptiness because you've been obedient and let him in, when, he, when you go pray even in your emptiest moment, he doesn't just come in and flow through you. That's his avenue to get to you, to fill you. Right. Because listen, this is what happened. There were two boats. Do you remember the two boats? And I got three minutes, so I need y'all to get this, okay? There were two boats. Jesus got in a boat. He said, Peter, push us out from land. Peter says, I don't want to push you out from land. Listen to what Peter says. Jesus, we've been toiling and working all night. We've caught nothing. But nonetheless, because you said you need my boat, we both got space problems. <laughs> At least you'll get blessed, right? That's our attitude a lot of times. Well, God, if you're going to answer somebody's prayer, you can answer theirs. I'll go pray for them. <laughs> Not knowing that he's using your emptiness <laughs> to meet their need, but it's going to fill you in the process. Hmm. Ooh, come on, that'll change your life if you'll write it down. And so in this moment, look at what he does. He says, Peter pushes out from shore. So he pushes out from shore. So Peter's with Jesus in the boat. And then he looks over at Peter after he got done preaching because it says in verse 4, he finished what he was saying. And then when he finished, he looked over at Simon and said, hey, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. Here's, a, here, here's, here's how we act. I'm tired, I want to quit, I'm ready to go home, I want to take a nap, I just want dinner, 
and please keep the kids away from me. Right? I'm exhausted. I'm tired. But just because you told me to, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. See, when you'll take him at your word, even at your emptiest moment, you don't understand the miracle that's about to take place even in your own life. But you got to see it in the, mid, in the era of your emptiness, whether it's one night or ten nights or ten years. In the era of your emptiness, if you'll start seeing eternally and let Jesus into your emptiness, he'll use the space problem that Peter had. He'll use your issue that you may not even know how to deal with. If you let him step into the emptiness, that's the way of him getting his fullness into your lack. And it also meets his requirements and his needs. Now listen to this. In the moment... What Peter didn't know is that the minute he submitted his night of failure, the night of no fishing would change the minute Jesus got into the boat. If you'll trust what looks like a failure, you may find out that all along he was meeting up to get you to your future. You've you got to understand the, 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 the brevity and the impact of this night. Peter was a professional fisherman. And in Peter being a professional fisherman, he caught nothing. Okay? Yeah, y'all come on up, worship team. In the midst of professional fishing, Peter caught nothing. And in the midst of him catching absolutely nothing, he was empty and he felt like a failure in that moment. And him feeling like a failure, he didn't know by just by letting Jesus into his boat, his failure would end up determining his future. See, some of y'all have beat yourself up about your failures over and over. And if you'll let Jesus into your failure, he'll create something for your future. Amen. Come on, gosh, I hope somebody gets this. If you let into him into your lack, he'll be able to begin to fill it. If you let him into your failure, he'll begin, to, he'll begin to build your future. And remember what we started, build the temple and build your future. The first thing about building the temple is letting Jesus into the failures of your life. Yeah. Amen. And in, when, when Peter let him into the failure, the night of not a catch, a, a professional fisherman's worst nightmare. Derek, come on, tell me, you've been in a fisherman tournament and you haven't caught something sometime and you feel like a failure. And in that moment, Peter felt like a failure, a miserable failure. But he said, Jesus, you need a boat. Here you go. You got crowds. You got a space problem. I got a space problem. He let Jesus into his emptiness. He let him into his failure. The minute Jesus stepped into his failure, he accomplished the kingdom purpose. He finished preaching the message. But then he said, Peter, do me a favor. I'm not going to leave you empty. I'm not going to leave you empty tonight. Somebody's got to hear this tonight. God's not going to leave you empty. Some of you have come in here Wednesday after Wednesday and Sunday after Sunday and you felt empty. God's not going to leave you empty tonight. In the midst of your failure, in the midst of your emptiness, in the midst of whatever, I want you to say, Jesus, come into my boat. Come into my life. And at that moment, respond however he tells you to respond because some of you, he's going to say, I need you to go pray for somebody because that's what gets the flow of the Spirit of God moving. It's not how much he can get to you. It's what he can get through you. And when, Peter, when he knew Peter would let him use his boat when he had nothing, he knew that Peter would follow him when he would give Peter everything. See, sometimes he's looking for a yes in the middle of your emptiness to know that you'll follow him in the fullness. Amen. Come on. Man, I'm telling you, God's so good. And the minute Peter let down the nets at the word of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you he wasn't feeling it. I guarantee you he wasn't saying, oh, I feel this great epiphany of faith. He said this, at your word. 
just because he heard Jesus spoke and tell him something, he said, at your word. I'm not feeling it. See, faith isn't about how you feel. It's how you respond. Everybody wants to look for the feeling of faith. It's never been about a feeling. It's how you respond. Faith is always about a response. That's how you got born again. You heard the voice of God and you responded. There's some of you got a good feeling or a bunch of feelings and you didn't know how to deal with them. You're snot everywhere, whatever. But it's the same. It's the same today. And my heart breaks all over the world for the body of Christ because we think because we're empty, God can't use us. And in fact, it's in the midst of your emptiness that God says, if you'll just let me in. I, I, got, I got something that I need and only you can fill it. Only Peter could fill that moment. Peter owned the boats. There's no other boats right there. So he said, Peter, I need your boat. And he filled it so much, the boats began to sink. Some of you, I just even felt it in my spirit say, I don't even know what that would be like. Try him out. Let him into your boat tonight. Some of you, your marriage is so empty. Just let him in. And that may be praying for other marriages. Just to get the flow of marriage prayer going in your life. Because you can't pray for yours right now. You're too mad at the spouse. They didn't show up tonight and you're sitting here all by yourself. Right? Whatever it is. In this moment. And I'm real quick because I know I got to go. They've been playing for four minutes. I still had not shut up. My call to you tonight is this. Some of you feel like a failure and others of you feel empty. And I'm telling you, you're neither one tonight. You're not a failure and you're not empty. You're not a failure and you're not empty. But if you'll let Jesus in the midst of your failing moments, he'll start building a future.